It's a holiday weekend, but we've got no holiday in front of us today. We've got to cover 22 chapters on a holiday (laughs) weekend. We're in the life of Joseph today as we continue on our overview of the Old Testament. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 50, the last part of Joseph's life. Genesis chapter 50, beginning with the 15th verse. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask today that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take these words and speak to us. We ask that you would take these words inform the way that we think, form the way that we feel, form the way that we act. We pray that you take these words and create faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I really don't want to see my Uncle Oswald tomorrow. How many of you were thinking that on Friday at 2 o'clock? How many of you on Friday at 2 o'clock were not only thinking of it, but we're beginning to scheme up ways in which you wouldn't have to see your Uncle Oswald on Saturday. I'm sure there were some of those thoughts going through your mind. There almost always is as anyone's planning a family gathering. Maybe you didn't have those thoughts going through your mind as you're preparing for a family gathering, but you've probably had this thought go through your mind. How can I avoid my coworker Franklin tomorrow? And then that night, as you're trying to go to sleep, The only thing you're thinking about is, what time am I going to see Franklin tomorrow? And where else could I be during that time? I think all of us have experienced these situations where we want to avoid certain people because there's animosity in that relationship. We want to avoid certain people because they did something to us and we've been hurt by that, or we did something to them and we don't want to face the music. This has happened to all of us and actually happens to all of us on a rather regular basis. The question is, how do we respond? Or do we continue to live in the midst of those situations? 
Today we find ourselves looking at a family situation where 11 brothers were definitely thinking, I do not want to have to see our 12th brother. Yet these 11 brothers were in a situation where they had to see their 12th brother. Their livelihood depended upon it. These 11 brothers had sold this one brother and pretended that he was dead. And now they had to return to that brother. And they were dependent upon that brother to continue to live. Physically live. They were dependent upon that brother. So what do they do? They've got to scheme up a plan. They've got to make this work somehow. So what do they do? They send a letter to their brother. And that's what we see in our text here today in Genesis chapter 50. They send a letter to their brother saying, Hey, Dad said that you should forgive us. How many times have we used this line thing? We don't know if Dad actually said this. Most likely, Dad did not say this. Maybe. But they've got a good plan. Because Joseph loves his father. And Joseph wants to honor his father because Joseph wants to honor the God of his father. And so now Joseph is put in a position. He can extend forgiveness to his 11 brothers or he can punish his 11 brothers. Joseph's life is extremely interesting. Joseph's life could be made into multiple movies. Joseph was the favorited son of 12 and you can imagine how that goes over when one out of 12 receives, receives a nice colored coat and nobody else does. The other 11 did not like Joseph because the father made it known that Joseph was his favorite. So now the other 11 begin to scheme. The other 11 decide, let's kill him. One of the 11 ends up kind of standing up for Joseph and says, let's throw him in this pit. They throw him in a pit and everything kind of goes and then they take his robe and they dip it in some blood and bring it back to their dad and they basically pretend he's dead. Joseph ends up getting sold. Joseph ends up getting sold to kind of Potiphar, who is an officer of Pharaoh, which in very simple sense means this. He's basically very high up in the government, an assistant to the main man who has lots of power. So all of a sudden, Joseph finds himself working in this home as a servant. One could look at it as a, well, better than being in a pit and attacked by wild animals. But nothing seems to go right for Joseph. Joseph is living in this home, and now the wife of his master begins to make a move on him. That's right, this stuff is in the Bible, people. Thing. They get, the woman begins to make a move on Joseph. Well, what a prime opportunity for Joseph. Here he's been living as a servant. Here he's been set aside by his family. Got a chance here with a, with a woman who's powerful. What does he do? Flees from the temptation. He doesn't give in to the opportunity to be with this woman. Well, now what happens? He gets punished even though he didn't give in. A whole story gets brewed up by the woman and da-da-da-da-da. Long story short, Joseph gets thrown in prison. So now Joseph is in prison for doing the right thing. 
hopefully we're starting to see a couple of themes in this man's life. Lots of just unorthodox situations and integrity in the midst of it all. Now he's in prison, and he's in prison. He starts having dreams and visions. And some of these dreams and visions relate to something that's going to happen to the country in regards to a famine that will be coming and how they should prepare for that famine. So Joseph becomes an important person because he's giving these dreams and these dreams come true. And so he's raised to a position of power. Famine comes and Joseph is in control of a lot of stuff. He's in control of a lot of food and a lot of opportunity. In other words... He controls the livelihood for his brothers. And now his brothers are dependent upon him. So we look at this life of Joseph, and we see three things that kind of go throughout the whole thing. First one again is integrity. Integrity, you could very simply say, is godly character when no one is looking. Godly character when no one is looking. What are you doing with the opportunities that are set before us when those ways are oftentimes opposed to God? What are we doing in the midst of those opportunities? Are we following the ways of God in a life of integrity? Or do we cave to the temptation for the reward that's placed before us in that exact moment? Why does Joseph do the right thing? We don't know exactly why Joseph does the right thing. One inclination we get, though, is his reverence and his fear for the God of his father. In other words, he has a higher view of God than he does of the humans who are gathered around him. He fears God more than he fears the consequences of not doing something or doing something. There's something to be learned here. That you and I would also have reverence for God. That we would fear God to a point where we worry more about His approval and the outcomes from our relationship with Him rather than the approval and the outcomes of those around us. Do we have that level of reverence for God? That when it comes to push, Are we willing to say, I fear the consequences of God more than I fear the consequences of man? Brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world are forced to make this decision every week. And every week, brothers and sisters in Christ in Pakistan, North Korea, China, Iran are saying, we fear God more than we fear man. And sometimes they have to give their lives. But they've given their lives because they have reverence for God. The time is coming for us when we will have to make a decision. Do we fear God more than we fear man? This happens every day in our daily lives. I'm not just talking about someday being forced to say, Jesus is Lord and drug off to jail for it. I'm talking about it in the workplace when there's that business deal that's about to go down, and you know that there's just a little bit of squishy space in the contract that has intentionally been put there so you can get the deal done, you've got to make a decision. 
do we get the deal done by being a little dishonest? Or do I fear God more than I fear the consequences that might come if I'm unwilling to do the deal? Or in our schools, when we're forced to teach our children, will we say, I fear God more than when I fear the command to teach something that goes against natural law and God's law? Who will we fear? In the life of Joseph, we see complete reverence for the God of his fathers. And he pays for that reverence. He pays dearly for that reverence. But in the end, the fulfillment of the promise comes. He's elevated to a position of power. The same is true for you and I today. The Scriptures promise to reward faithfulness. We don't talk about this very often because we get a little bit squirmy talking about rewards. But the Bible clearly talks about the crown that will await us for those who are faithful. We should keep that reward before us. That God wants to reward those who are faithful. So we see integrity in the life of Joseph, even in the midst of opposition. Also in the life of Joseph, we see that Joseph, we see that God is at work through it all, even bad circumstances. Nobody would look at this story and say, God's really at work there. I mean, how is God at work when someone's thrown into a pit, said to be dead, and then sold into slavery? Yet, God works in the midst of those bad circumstances for His glory and His people's good at the end of the story. So here you've got a sinful situation where bad stuff is happening. Joseph's brothers are opposed. They're they're doing something sinful. Yet what does God do? God can still use that for the greater good. Now that doesn't mean we just go out and start sinning so God can use that for the greater good. But what we can see here is that sometimes when we don't see the hand of God at work, God promises to be at work. As it says in Romans chapter 8, for those whom he loves, he also predestines, he conforms, and he's always at work bringing everything to the good for those whom he loves. Even in the midst of bad stuff, God can still be at work. And it's oftentimes in the midst of bad stuff that God is at work. If you look at the history of God recorded in the Bible, very rarely is there an instance where God does something amazing where there's not also something difficult and bad going on. It's often through suffering that God brings about something good for his glory. God can work even in the midst of the worst situations. It can be difficult to see in the midst of it. I don't think Joseph was in the pit saying, oh, praise God, this is great. I love it down here in the pit. He probably wasn't in prison going, oh, this is a good spot. Thank you, Lord, for putting me here. I mean, let's be real. I think we should be realistic. He may not have had the view in the middle of it thing. We don't even know if he had the view at the end of it. But the truth is, God was still there at work. It may be beyond our understanding. Yet we need to seek to be aware. Seek to understand and have that perspective. 
In the life of Joseph, we have integrity. We have God at work through it all. Ultimately, in the life of Joseph, we have God bringing about His promises through forgiveness. God bringing about His promises through forgiveness. Think back now the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Abraham and Abraham's children and the story of Abraham. The whole story of Abraham all goes back to the promise that God gives him. That God is going to what? Build a great nation out of the person Abraham and give him the promised land. That promise is in jeopardy because there's a great famine. God's people are under the control of others. But what has God done? God's put one person in a position of power that can help save all of God's people. But what has to happen in order for that to take place? Joseph needs to forgive his brothers. If Joseph does not forgive his brothers, the people of God are done. But what does Joseph do? We see that Joseph extends forgiveness. In Genesis chapter 50, it says, Do not fear, as Joseph talking, he says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Joseph goes from a position of being in animosity to now being in a position of providing for his family. I think conceptually, all of us would agree today that forgiveness is a great thing. I mean, how many of you today would say, oh, forgiveness is a bad thing? It hurts lots of people when people are forgiven. I think for the most part, we agree forgiveness is a good concept. And then how many of you would agree with me this morning that bitterness, anger, and malice do not promote a peaceful and joyful experience? How many of you have been at bed at night and you are, you are mad? You're, you're pretty angry at someone and you're pretty bitter about something. You're just laying in bed or you have that night. How many of you get up the next morning and you go, man, that was a joyful night of bitterness? How many of you get done expressing anger towards someone and you walk away and go, that was a peaceful experience of expressing some attitude towards someone? I think we can agree that bitterness, anger, and malice do not promote a life of peacefulness and joyfulness. Therefore, forgiveness is a pretty good concept in that it can free us from bitterness, anger, and malice. Forgiveness is a great idea. C.S. Lewis once said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. We would all agree that it's a lovely idea. Therefore, the question is, why don't we implement it? But there's a lot of stuff all of us would agree are lovely ideas or are great concepts. I mean, I think all of us would agree this morning that exercise is a good thing. I mean, I never see a letter to the editor that says, exercise is horrible, no one should do it, we should have it banned in our society. I mean, anyone logical is going to say exercise is a good thing, yet we all know not everyone exercises. Well, what? You agree it's a good idea. A good idea does not necessarily mean implementation. So, how can we move from a good idea to implementation. 
It goes to how we look at the life of Joseph. We could look at the life of Joseph this morning and say, wow, what an amazing man. Stood up and had integrity. What an amazing man went from suffering to a position of power. We should be like Joseph. If we do that with the story of Joseph, all it is is an idea and a concept, a moral story that can do nothing for us at the end of the day. When we look at the life of Joseph, we shouldn't say, what a great man Joseph was. We should actually say, wow, does Joseph point to this man named Jesus? Think of the similarities between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph. Jesus, a life of righteousness. No one can find any wrong against him. Yet what do they do? Persecute him. Put him in a position of suffering. Jesus, faced with multiple temptations in the midst of 40 days of going without food, multiple opportunities for power. Yet what does Jesus do? chooses God's way, his Father's way, over the way of Satan. Joseph, now we're digging a little bit into the details. How many thieves does Joseph have in prison that he's dealing with? Two. Do two thieves ring a bell at all in the story of Jesus? Jesus is not persecuted alone, but is hung on a cross next to two thieves. Joseph, faced with a dilemma, his 11 brothers, his closest associates who have betrayed him, he's got to make a decision. What does he do? Forgives them and restores them. Jesus, his closest associate, Peter, what does he do? Betrays him. Jesus is forced to make a decision. What does Jesus do? Forgives him puts Peter in the ultimate position of authority. The Bible's not about Joseph at all. The Bible's about Jesus, the one who Joseph is pointing us to this morning. You can look throughout the whole Old Testament, and there's beautiful little golden nuggets everywhere of little cool things that happen, but in the end, you look back, and it just points to the life of Jesus Christ. This morning, if we want to take forgiveness from a good idea and concept to a reality in our lives, it begins by doing this, going to the one whose life Joseph points us to, Jesus Christ. Today, if you're in the midst of bitterness, anger, and malice, Joseph can do nothing for you, but Jesus can. For Jesus is alive today on the throne, and Jesus can forgive your wrongdoing. And Jesus can give you the gift of His Spirit that can give you the ability to extend forgiveness to one another. So many of us are waiting for extraordinary opportunities to do what Joseph did, when in reality, the vast majority of us are going to face none of those opportunities. We've all heard the amazing stories of the family that comes to the prison and forgives the individual that killed one of their family members. Extraordinary. An absolutely fabulous story and a great thing. Everybody looks at that and says, awesome, 
Praise the Lord. That is great. The reality is this. Most of us will never face those opportunities. But we will face opportunities every single day to act with integrity and to extend forgiveness. Do you know how small the mosquito is? Pretty small. I can't get an exact measurement. I'm having a hard time catching one. But a mosquito is pretty small. But do you know how much of a pain a mosquito is at a campfire at night? How many good campfires have been ruined by a single mosquito or a hundred mosquitoes? You think to yourself, how can such a small thing ruin such a good evening? It happens all the time. Same things happen in our lives today. Small things. Our coworker says something bad about us to another coworker. A sibling doesn't return a phone call when they should. These small little mosquitoes can ruin a good life very quickly. Today, the question is not, are you going to forgive in that extraordinary situation? But are you going to forgive in the everyday reality of tough relationships with neighbors, co-workers, and family members? Today we see the plan of God unfold before us. That God saves His people by putting a person in a position who can extend forgiveness and give new life. That's God's plan. And now today you and I have an opportunity to participate in God's plan by going to a person who's in a position of power, Jesus Christ. In the story, it's fascinating. The eleven ultimately have to what? Give account to the one and sit at the mercy of the one. You and I today, the Bible says clearly, have to give account to the one. The one who created us, the one who knows us. The question is, will we ask for mercy from that one and receive his forgiveness? I would be shocked today if there was anyone in this room who doesn't have an opportunity to extend forgiveness this next week. I would be shocked today if there was anyone in this room who doesn't have a need to first receive forgiveness from the King, the one who wants to give it so we can go out and share it. Let us go forth this next week and resemble the life of Joseph, a life of integrity and a life of forgiveness. Not so people look and say, wow, that Joseph guy is great. But people would look at us and say, wow, that Jesus is great. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks today for your promise of forgiveness. And we confess to you today, O Lord, our need for that forgiveness. This morning I ask, O Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable each of us to receive that gift through faith. I pray for anyone here in this morning that's living in the midst of a broken relationship today, whether it be in family, in school, neighborhoods, or at work. I ask today, O Lord, you would grant each of us the ability 
to extend forgiveness as you have extended it to us. God, this morning I also pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would enable us to be people of integrity. Instill in us the fear of the Lord. God, give us that reverence. Enable us to worship you in all that we do. We offer ourselves unto you today, O Lord. Use us this next week now to spread your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.